Remain standing and turn your Bibles, please, to 1 Kings chapter 6. We continue our study through Kings, 1 Kings chapter 6. We'll work through the whole chapter, but in the uh, in the interest of time, I'll read uh, selected verses, and I'll let you know where I am at all times. 1 Kings 6, we'll begin with verse 1. In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Zeev, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. The house that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. The vestibule in front of the nave of the house was 20 cubits long, equal to the width of the house, and 10 cubits deep in front of the house. And he made for the house windows with recessed frames. He also built a structure against the wall of the house, running around the walls of the house, both the nave and the inner sanctuary. And he made side chambers all around. The lowest story was five cubits broad. The middle one was six cubits broad. And the third was seven cubits broad. For around the outside of the house... He made offsets on the wall in order that the supporting beams should not be inserted into the walls of the house. When the house was built, it was with stone prepared at the quarry so that neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron was heard in the house while it was being built. The entrance for the lowest story was on the south side of the house and one went up by stairs to the middle story, and from the middle story to the third. So he built the house and finished it, and he made the ceiling of the house of beams and planks of cedar. He built the structure against the whole house, five cubits high, and it was joined to the house with timbers of cedar. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon, concerning this house that you are building, if you walk in my statutes and obey my rules, and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people, Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. Now verse 37. In the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Zeev. And in the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its parts and according to all its specifications. He was seven years in building it. And may God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you've spoken to us. And we pray that by the power of your spirit that you would come and speak to us now, that we would hear the voice of our good shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, in our hearts. And hearing his voice, his sheep would know him and follow him. And we would see him high and lifted up and offer our hearts to him promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. Heaven on earth. In Missouri City, Texas, that's on the southwestern outskirts of Houston, is a place called heaven on earth. 
It's a Victorian mansion, old mansion, now used as a wedding venue. This is how the owner describes it in an ad. Our elegant 32,000 square foot and all-inclusive venue creates an ideal experience. The Victorian mansion boasts impressive 22 feet high cathedral ceilings, a grand staircase with a curved balcony from Governor William P. Hobby's mansion, and a one-of-a-kind crafted Tiffany chandelier. Also featured inside is the original sleigh from the five Academy Award-winning 1965 Dr. Zhivago. The lush courtyard and expansive outside area is shaded by over 200-year-old oak tree canopies, providing an ideal place to hold your special event. I don't know if that sounds like heaven on earth to you or not. Maybe for you, heaven on earth is Edisto or Isle of Palms or the Blue Ridge Mountains. In 1981, after the Celtics won the NBA championship, Larry Bird famously said on national television at the victory parade in Boston that next to French Lick, Indiana, there's no place he'd rather be than right there at that parade in Boston. This passage, 1 Kings chapter 6, lists some of the specifications of the construction of the temple under King Solomon. In the last chapter, we saw the lumber order. Now we see the details of the construction. And bound up in all these descriptions and dimensions is a picture of heaven on earth. Now let's look at it. First, in this passage, we see the connection between the Exodus and the temple. The connection between the Exodus and the temple. Look at verse 1. In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Zeb, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. Now notice the author dates the construction of the temple from the exodus from slavery in Egypt, 480 years. Why? You remember the message Moses delivered to Pharaoh from the Lord himself. Let my people go. That's the part we remember. But it's only half the message. The Lord told Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me or that they may worship me. Now they've been worshiping the Lord all this time with plenty of idolatry mixed in to be sure. And they had the tabernacle, but now they're settled. The kingdom is established. 
There's peace. And it's time for the Lord to have more than a tent for his place of worship. And tabernacle is just a fancy word for tent. This is a reminder that the purpose of their freedom was worship. The Lord delivered them from the house of bondage in Egypt in order that they would worship him. And so the author tells us that the construction of the temple for the worship of God began in the 480th year after the exodus. You see, worship is the appropriate response of people who have been saved. The Lord saved the people from their misery in Egypt by the blood of the Passover lamb. The destroyer passed over every home in Egypt that night and the firstborn of every house died from the prison cell to Pharaoh's palace. But where the lamb had been slain and its blood smeared over the door frame, the destroyer saw the blood and passed over the house, saved by the blood of the Lamb. And Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world and those who really know Him, who really know the freedom of being saved from sin, who know the power of His blood to make peace with God and give peace of conscience, they cannot help but worship God. People can make all sorts of excuses why they do not attend the public worship services of the church. But more likely than not, the issue is simply that they have never been saved. The construction of the temple, the place where the Lord was to be worshipped was a fulfillment. Now, ultimately, the fulfillment was Jesus Christ, but that temple was a fulfillment of the purpose why the Lord had delivered the Hebrews from Egypt in the first place. Let my people go that they may worship me. So verse 1 dates the construction of the temple from the Exodus. We see the con connection between the Exodus and the temple. Secondly, in this passage, we see a picture of heaven. A picture of heaven. Look at verse 20. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. And he overlaid it with pure gold. He also 
overlaid an altar of cedar, and Solomon overlaid the inside of the house with pure gold, and he drew chains of gold across in front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. And he overlaid the whole house with gold until all the house was finished. Also, the whole altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary, he overlaid with gold. In the inner sanctuary, he made two cherubim of olive wood, each 10 cubits high. Now look at verse uh, 27. He put the cherubim in the innermost part of the house, and the wings of the cherubim were spread out so that a wing of one touched the one wall, and a wing of the other cherub touched the other wall. Their other wings touched each other in the middle of the house, and he overlaid the cherubim with gold. Around all the walls of the house, he carved engraved figures of cherubim and palm trees and open flowers in the inner and outer rooms. The floor of the house he overlaid with gold in the inner and outer rooms. For the entrance to the inner sanctuary, he made doors of olive wood. The lintel and the doorposts were five-sided. He covered the two doors of olive wood with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. He overlaid them with gold and spread gold on the cherubim and on the palm trees. So also he made for the entrance to the nave doorposts of olive wood in the form of a square." And two doors of cypress wood. The two leaves of the one door were folding, and the two leaves of the other door were folding. On them he carved cherubim and palm trees and open flowers, and he overlaid them with gold, evenly applied on the carved work. Now, we'll not go into all the details of how this place was constructed and appointed, but I want to notice two things that are everywhere in the temple, everywhere in this description over and over again. Cherubim and gold. Cherubim, angels, everywhere. Gold, everywhere. What's the point? The temple is a picture of heaven. The cherubim are the angels that serve God in heaven. They surround his throne and praise him constantly and eternally. And of course, Revelation 21 famously tells us that in heaven the streets are paved with gold. Of course, this is symbolical. It represents the sheer glory of the presence of God. So Hebrews 8, 5 says that the Levitical priests served a copy of the true heavenly temple. That's what this temple that's being constructed in 1 Kings 6 was. A copy of a model of heaven. There was no access to the temple apart from a bloody sacrifice. 
and there is no entrance into heaven apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen to Hebrews chapter 9. Listen to this. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, in other words, not that temple, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. See, the temple is a copy of heaven. Jesus has entered now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, the temple covered with angels and gold was a shadow of heaven on earth, the presence of God. And the sacrifices that took place there day after day, month after month, year after year after year were shadows of the one true sacrifice for all time. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He himself is the sacrifice that opens our way to heaven. So Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. No access to the temple outside of the sacrifice, the blood. No way into the genuine article in heaven outside of the blood of Jesus. So we see the connection between the exodus and the temple. We see a picture of heaven. And thirdly and finally in this passage, we see the essence of the temple and heaven. The essence of the temple and the essence of heaven itself. Look at verse 11. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon Concerning this house that you are building, if you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people, Israel. See, in the middle of this long chapter of specifications for a construction project is something different here in verses 11 to 13. It's a promise of God. 
It has conditions, but it's a promise. You see, the Lord says in verse 12, concerning this house that you're building, the temple is about something far more significant than the physical structure. As important and magnificent and extravagant and just plain expensive as that building was. More than anything else, the essence of the temple is that the Lord dwells with his people. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people, Israel. This is the essence of the true religion and revelation of God. I will be your God and you will be my people. So he tells Solomon to serve him. God's people serve him and he is with them. That's that was the essence of the temple. And that's the essence of heaven. The essence of heaven is when Jesus says, where I am, there you will be also. What to you is the essence of heaven? What do you hope for? My hope is not that my grandmother is with my grandfather again. You hear me? My hope is not that my grandmother is with my grandfather again. My hope is that my grandmother, my grandmother, and my grandfather are both with Jesus. The scripture says that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Solomon's day, God came down to dwell with his people in that temple. 
that temple was a copy of Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, in whom God Almighty took on human flesh and came down from heaven eternally to be with his people. In Jesus Christ, heaven came down to earth in a far greater way than in Solomon's temple, magnificent as it was. It's heaven to be with God, to be in his presence. In heaven, we will be in his presence. Forever. But the temple taught the people that heaven must begin on earth. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. Whom thou hast sent. Eternal life. Heaven. Begins on earth. When you come to know. The only true God. Through his son. Jesus Christ. Emmanuel. God. With us. Do you know him? It's heaven on earth to know Jesus Christ. And it will be heaven for all eternity to be with him where he is. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, amen.